You're listening to Life with Impact. Join us as we continue to rediscover the heart of Jesus together. out of the New Living Translation. All right. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Thanks, Amber. Wow, you get claps for even reading. Good job. (laughs) So this is the second week in this series, Out of Many One. Last week, Dustin shared that we can't create unity, only God can. But as members of the body of Christ, we're challenged to maintain that unity. And when we lay down our pride and lay down our agendas and ask God to step in, that's the groundwork for unity that begins. So we're talking about community today and how God wants us to be in community with us and how that community with him then helps us to be in community with each other. If you're new to this idea of faith, maybe even just investigating what Christianity is, this idea of God wanting to be in community with you might be a little bit confusing. Whether you're an introvert or an extrovert or maybe a combination of the two like me, you were created for community. So I thought I would walk us through some of the verses in the Bible that talk about us getting that time of community with God, because He is the creator of the universe, and He wants to spend time with you. So the verse that I'm starting with is Genesis 1:27, and it says, "So God created human beings in His own image. In the image of God, He created them, male and female, He created them. So God the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit were in community and continue to be in community with each other. Before the earth was even created, those three persons of the Godhead lived in this perfect and fulfilling community. So community is a part of God's character. So we could say that God is community, and because of that, we're created to reflect that aspect of his character to those around us. I think it's why we crave being known and knowing others. That's a part of it. So I want to jump back to some of the verses that Amber read. Um, It's in the Amplified Version. We're just going to read verses 8 to 10 together, and they'll be up on the screens, and you can follow along. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool afternoon breeze of the day. 
So the man and his wife hid and kept themselves hidden from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you walking in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. So just recently, about five weeks ago, we started a women's small group, and we're going through this book, and it's called Finding, Find Your People. It's by Ginny Allen. And it's this idea of building community in a lonely world. And one of the passages that we first started reading was this Genesis passage. And I began to dig into these verses a little bit, and I was, it just really was impressed on my heart that God truly designed us to be in community with him. We know that God created the Garden of Eden as this perfect place. As scripture says, it provided trees that were good to look at, and they were good for food. There were plants of all kinds. There were animals. There was a river that flowed through the Garden of Eden that watered those things. And then God created Adam and Eve to live in that garden, and the climate was perfectly suited for the humans that were there. Adam and Eve were not clothed while they were there because they didn't need the protection because, from the environment because it was suited for them. But as we read in verse 8, Adam was saying he, he knew the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden. So Adam and Eve knew the sounds of God coming to meet them to go for a walk in the garden. They knew what it was like to go for a walk with him and to talk with him. Think about that. That's pretty amazing. If you go for a walk with someone, I have a friend, Danielle, that I go for a walk with every once in a while, and we're, we're walking, but we're not walking to walk. We're walking to catch up. You know, we're walking to talk, to see how each other's days went. I did the same thing with a friend about nine years ago. There was a, a gal who taught um, middle school. She was a middle school teacher, but she also coached the cross-country team. And so my kids got involved in that, and so she asked me if I wanted to help coach cross-country. I knew nothing about running or that, any of that. So she taught me along the way, but I don't think I would have stuck with it as long as we did, except for the fact that every day that we ran, her and I were talking, getting to know each other, talking about our days, solving all the world's problems just in that time that we ran. And it was all because we had that communication going while we were, while we were running. So I can really picture that when I think of Adam and Eve just walking with God in the garden, talking with him, talking about their day together, him telling them about the plants and the animals and what they're doing and why they're there, him telling them how much he loved them and cared for them. It's just such a beautiful picture. But, it's, but it wasn't just this one time that Adam talked with God. This was a continual thing. This was an ongoing conversation that they had all of the time. He knew what sound to expect when he heard God walking in the garden. It was a normal and regular occurrence for them. God knew them intimately, and he loved them, and he spent time with them. Of course, we know how it all ended. We know that Adam and Eve thought that they knew better than God, and they could be like God, so they ate of the fruit. And so once that sin entered the picture, it kind of changed the relationship between God and man. The relationship in no way ended. In fact, after God had passed the judgment for their sin, he gave them hope and told them that a Savior, Jesus, would come through woman. But throughout Scripture, we can see so many examples of how God wanted to remind us that he wants community with us. I have another example I wanted to share with you. It's from Exodus chapter 3, and I'm going to read you these verses. It has to do with Moses. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, 
the priest of Midian, and he fled, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that the bush was on fire, but it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. I'm going to skip down to verse 9, and this is still the Lord talking. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, Suppose I should go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. Go assemble the leaders of Israel and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, appeared to me and said, I have watched over you, and I have seen what has been done to you in Egypt, and I promise to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt. So God used a burning bush to talk to Moses. I think God had to do something Pretty drastic, it seems like, to get his attention. I think that would have caught my attention too, because this bush was on fire, but not actually burning up. God spent time communing and talking with Moses from this bush to prepare him for what he wanted him to do, to do through him with the children of Israel. Moses reminded me that God was holy, and during his time with God, he couldn't even look at him and he hid his face. And in my mind, that's kind of a, it's a strange way for God to have a conversation with Moses in this bush. But it also reminded me it was a holy moment. And Moses even took off his sandals before he even approached the bush. Have you ever spent time with God and you knew it was a holy moment? I vividly remember this one time when um, I was about, about 10 years ago, and I was uh, mentoring a friend, Sonia, she's here today. Um, and we were going through a, a study together. And we had decided on this one particular day that we were going to just meditate on this verse that we were working through. And I don't, I don't even know what the verse is. I can't remember what it was at this point. But I remember we were sitting out on, um, in my front yard next to this little pond that we had. And you could hear the cars, the noise of the cars going by. The kids were playing near us. Um, on the street, um, there was birds chirping in the trees, you know, all those normal sounds that you hear, you know, when you're sitting outside. And uh, so we started reading these verses and just started meditating on the verses. We were just quietly doing that in our heads. And then all of a sudden, it just got really quiet. I couldn't hear the sounds 
that were going on around me anymore. Only the words of the verses kept playing over in my mind. My mind went completely quiet. And if you know me, you know how impossible that is. I don't know, some of you women might agree with me too that it doesn't happen that way very often. And it was just a moment for me that I felt like God was giving, giving me a glimpse of what time with him was like and that he was honoring me for spending that time with him to be in his presence. Because God says in Hebrews 4 that we can approach the, God's throne of grace with confidence. Like I said, I couldn't even tell you what the verse was that we were meditating, but I can tell you I spent time with God in community that day. And in that quiet and peaceful place is where I found his comfort and his grace. And I know that's what happened with Moses, too. It was definitely a different way for Moses to talk with God. But God took that time to encourage him, tell him what he wanted Moses to do, and to say to the people of Israel that would help to bring peace to their nation. There are so many other stories in the Bible that you can read about where God speaks to his people. Here's a few of them. Ezekiel the prophet, Noah and his sons, Job and his friends, Jacob, David, Solomon, Elijah, Isaiah, Jonah, Hosea, Zechariah, Saul on the road to Damascus, Peter, so many more. He wants to be in community with us. He wants to spend time with us. He wants to talk with us. Karen, can you put up this slide? The most important relationship you'll have in your life is the community that you have with God. Adam and Eve had perfect community with God. And it's probably something that we can't quite wrap our minds around because of sin entering in. But thankfully, God has made a way to restore our relationships with him. We can read in Ephesians 2 that through Christ, we once again have access to God, not as our judge, but as our father. Jesus' death on the cross restored that relationship, restored that community. It's not something that can be ruined or destroyed. That is what is so beautiful about our relationship with God. One of the reasons that this matters so much is because all of the other circles of community that are important in our lives, like our family, our church, and our friends, they would be less satisfying and less healthy. In fact, they'd be weakened and even corrupted if it's not anchored in the community and relationship that we have with God. Can you put up the next slide, Karen? Our community with God equips us for the other relationships in our lives. So community with God teaches us how to love others well, how to forgive the really painful stuff, and how to serve selflessly. So the other side of community is that God created us for community with each other. So growing up, my family moved quite a bit. My dad's job, it took us all over the place. I was counting back, and I think that I moved eight times by the time I was in the seventh grade. So I learned really quickly how to make friends. And each time we would move to a new area, my parents would find a church for us to attend and the school, and then I became really good at just diving in and making those friends. There was only one time that I could remember that we actually lived near family, so I think that's kind of why my parents just quickly would dive into a church so we'd have that community. My parents and family would serve in the churches that we attended. So I think the idea of having a church community 
it happened pretty early in my life and was very foundational for me in knowing what a church community could and should be like. I know it was never perfect because, you know, we're all humans and we do and say things we shouldn't, but I definitely feel like that laid a foundation for me to know how to be in a church community. When I was in the fifth grade, uh, one of the places that my dad's company sent us was to Hawaii. So we lived on the island of Oahu for about a year. And so our family did the same thing there that we always did. We'd just find a church family, get plugged in, there Sunday mornings, Sunday nights, you know. But more than that, we did the Bible studies, and we prayed for people because we knew what was going on in their lives. And in fact, we even got to spend Thanksgiving with that church family because they roasted a pig in the ground, and we had a meal together. It was beautiful. So when it was time for us to leave after that year was up, there was about 20 or 30 people that showed up at the airport with our family. And this was back in the day, you know, when you could actually go in the airport and you didn't need a ticket, you know, you could just go in. And uh, my sister reminded me, we were talking about this between the service. Um, They rallied, they surrounded us, they prayed over us. Some of them had brought the ukuleles, that was the part I forgot, and they sang over us. It was so beautiful. We had that, the idea of community. Do you imagine that happening today? (laughs) No, not really. What would it be like to share meals weekly? Pool your resources to meet the needs of others around you. Know about the things going on in people's lives and praying for them, the doctor's appointments, the things like that. um, Crying and hugging with losses and with joys. But the thing is, our reality is somewhat different today. I remember back, um, there was this comedian who did this skit, and um, it was having to do with when the front doorbell rings when you're at home. And he based it on 20 years ago, but it's probably closer to like 30, if we go back 30, 40 years versus today. So there's the setting of this family, and they're all sitting around in the living room watching TV. It's a weeknight, you know, and all of a sudden the doorbell rings. And so everybody jumps up, mom and dad jump up, the kids jump up, they slide to the front door, turn all the lights on, and they, they, they open the door and they're like, hi, what are you guys doing here? Oh, we just thought we'd come by. And the dad goes, look it, we have company, come on in. So they come on into the house and, you know, the mom goes into the kitchen and she's got that cake that's only reserved for when you have community, <laughs> you have company come over. So she pulls out the cake and they go sit at the table. They cut the cake and everybody's eating cake, having coffee, talking, and this time just goes by and they can't believe how long they stayed and chatted and talked. Versus today... The doorbell rings today, everybody goes, they freeze, turn the, make sure the lights are off. Everybody's like, shh, dad's like, shh, shh. And then you see the kid's army crawl into the kitchen, the mom's army crawl into the kitchen. And everybody's like, shh. And the dad goes, did you invite somebody? Did you invite somebody? Who invited somebody over? I don't know. And then the, the kid who's upstairs who didn't know anything was going on comes bouncing down the stairs making all this noise. The dad's like, shh, we don't want to make any commotion. Don't let them know we're here. That's today. That's what we do today. That's how our community is. It's an over-exaggeration, but it's pretty close. Sad. It's sad. It's a sad reality of our current culture and climate. But we're really good at isolating ourselves. We learned it long before the pandemic. Um, in the book, the Bible study I was telling you about that we were doing, one of the things that she had mentioned in the book was just the idea that it kind of started back with the Industrial Revolution. 
when a lot of things changed with machinery and factories and cars that could take people further away. So the husbands were taken away from their homes to do things, you know, they were no longer working on their farms with their family and their land. So people didn't need each other as much, they didn't depend on each other as much, and it kind of just evolved from there. But let's go back to that idea of the community I was talking about that had weekly meals together, that pooled their resources to help those in need, that prayed with each other. And we have an example of that in the Bible in Acts chapter 2. So together we're going to read verses 42 to 47. And it says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. That's what community is all about. So I came up with four points that I wanted to share with you that will hopefully start to encourage you to engage more even in this idea of community. The first point is community is encouraging. I have a verse from Hebrews chapter 10 that I wanted to read with you. It's verses 24 and 25. Discover creative ways to encourage others and to motivate them towards acts of compassion. Doing beautiful works as expressions of love. This is not the time to pull away and neglect meeting together, as some have formed the habit of doing. In fact, we should come together even more frequently, eager to encourage and urge each other onward as we anticipate that day dawning. There is just a beauty that you can find in community when you bring people together from different walks of life, different seasons of life, and especially different stages of their faith journey. Because we know that those who are more mature in their faith, they can encourage and share their stories of things that have happened to them along the way. And those who are newer in their faith, they're the ones that remind us of the, of the wonder of God, like a childlike faith. So I remember when John and I were pretty newly married, and we had several families from our church that um, we did life with. And we were the youngest in the group, but we always knew that if we have ever had a problem, if there was anything that we needed counsel on, um, if there was anything we needed prayer for, that group of people would respond always. It was so encouraging for John and I to know that we had that support available to us. Because Proverbs 27, 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. When you have community, whether it's a small group at church, friends from college, or maybe even a softball team, whatever it is, you can be a friend that sharpens friends. Ask the tough questions. Where do you need help? What are the tough spots in your life right now? And I would encourage you to listen well and affirm them. That can be so encouraging because community is encouraging. The next one is community is fun. Psalms 133.1 says, How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Community shouldn't be forced, and it shouldn't be boring. I think Christians are portrayed often as a boring bunch of people that like to have to follow a bunch of rules. 
and they can't have fun. What's something fun you like doing? I wrote down some of, some of our favorites. Motorcycle rides, fishing, weekend trips to the beach, bowling leagues, trivia nights, craft classes. Our small group even one time did a ballroom dance class together. Now that was a lot of fun because you re- your two left feet really come out, you laugh a lot, your insecurities come out, but then you get to laugh and share and joke. Because Proverbs 17.22 says, a joyful, cheerful heart brings healing to both body and soul. When's the last time you had a good belly laugh with someone? Not in front of a phone, but actual face-to-face conversation with someone where you walk away and your stomach hurts because you were laughing, you've got tears in your eyes. Scripture says it's healing to the body and soul because community is fun. The next one is community attracts the Holy Spirit. Matthew 18 talks about the followers of Jesus, and when the followers of Jesus are together, the Holy Spirit is there. A good example, of course, is the Acts 2 church that we were talking about earlier. They made it a habit to eat together, to worship together. Others were attracted to this community because they saw something different in these people who continued to meet together. The difference they were seeing was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit through them. And it says the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Daily. That's amazing. Because of the working of the Holy Spirit. Something to remember about this one in particular is that it's not just a Sunday thing. Be a Jesus follower every day in the context of all your communities because community attracts the Holy Spirit. And the last one is community fosters love. Colossians 3, 13 and 14 says, Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. For as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. I also looked this up in the Passion Translation. I really like the way this was worded. It says, Tolerate the weaknesses of those in the family of faith, forgiving one another in the same way you have been graciously forgiven by Jesus Christ. If you find fault with someone, release the same gift of forgiveness to them. For love is supreme and must flow through each of these virtues. Love becomes the mark of true maturity. So remember how I said earlier that community with God equips us for other relationships in our lives? Well, this is where the rubber meets the road. This is probably the hardest part, but the most rewarding part of community. This is where you get the chance to be vulnerable with your safe community. This is where your ugly comes out. In my small group this past week, we were covering the area of accountability. And over the years, I've had accountability with quite a few ladies, but in this study, we're being challenged to go deep even within that small group. So we had a list of questions during the week that we had to answer, and I wanted to read some of those questions to you. Why am I worried? What problems am I facing? How am I insecure? What sin am I fighting? What am I learning? What am I controlling? Sheesh. I I told the ladies in the group, I just wanted to throw that book across the room. I didn't want to think about it. I didn't want to write my answers down. And I surely didn't want to share my answers to that. But you know what happened when we shared some of those answers? When I shared some of my answers, some of the ladies shared theirs. 
and we had a deeper connection. Some of my stuff is ugly, and yet at the end, someone thanked me for having the courage to share. Sometimes we have to forgive those in our community. We have to learn to be gracious and forgive. In our community with God, we've been forgiven, so now we get to live that out and share that same forgiveness with others. Sometimes we have to tolerate the weaknesses of others, recognizing that we have weaknesses ourselves. And sometimes we have to show love. The end of verse 14 says, love is the mark of true maturity. It can be really difficult to commit to community, especially if we're guarded or prefer being alone. But community is God's desire for us, and it's a sign of mature faith. Because at the end of the day, when we are growing in our relationships with others, we're growing in our relationship with Him. So I have some practical ways to help you to begin building some of that community. So for the people who have walked with Jesus for a little bit, start by evaluating the time that you're spending in community with God. Maybe it's making time to sit quiet and listen to hear his voice, or maybe it's spending more time reading his word. But for some of you in this room, it might even be a conversation about starting community with God. And just know that we are here as a pastoral staff, as leaders, as prayer team, to talk and answer any of the questions you might have to begin that community with God. Spend some time thinking about the people around you. Can you go deeper with the group you now have? Or do you need to invite some new people into your group to find some of that community? The thing is, you have to be intentional about it. You have to make the first move. It's going to be awkward, but it'll be okay. Some ways that you can be intentional, get involved in a small group. That's an easy way. You know we have some new ones that are going to be starting in July. Look those up when we have them show them up and show up to those groups. That's a real easy way to to be part of a community. Maybe it's the one-on-one discipleship programs that we have going. Talk with me, talk with David, talk with any of us about that. Let us get you plugged in with someone who can do some one-on-one discipleship with and grow with and build that community. What about serving being a part of the different serving teams we have here at Impact, that word keyword is teams there. They're teams of people who get to do stuff each week, every other week together, and get a part, be a part of that small community in a way that just honors our church, but also helps you grow your community at the same time. Because wouldn't you like to walk in the door and know some faces, know some people's names, and see what a joy that is to you? Remember that God created you to be in community with him and with others. So now it's time to go get started on that journey together. Let's pray. I'm going to have the band come up at the time. God, we are so thankful for just the design of community, how you have given us as an example with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and how we can have that relationship with you, and what a beautiful thing that can be. So we're so thankful and grateful for that. I pray that you would be with us as we um, even begin to maybe be prompted in our minds to some of the things that are going on in our world, that we can start to begin to have some of that community with others, that would be willing to step out, even be awkward, but to get to know some new faces 
and get to um, enjoy and be a blessing to others in our community, Lord. We thank you. We love you so much for community. In your name I pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us this week on Life with Impact. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Life with Impact. And to watch the full virtual service, make sure to check us out on YouTube at Impact CC. Have a great week. Thank you.